0: Thank you, trying to make up for it. Fires to the end zone, touchdown!
1: Alabama wins.
0: Alone, looking for his first hit of the year, oh. he drives
1: one deep left field. That goes Upton, back near the wall. It's out of here! Bartolo has done it. There's only
0: one word that comes to mind: greatness. What is up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Red Shirt Podcast. It is conference championship week on the heels of one of the best divisional rounds. I mean, definitely the best divisional round I've ever seen. Um, one of the best in, in NFL history. We're past that though. It's, it's time for the big boys, Winner go home. We're trying to go to LA for the super bowl. Um, and to join me to discuss
1: these matchups, Mr. Jackson Powers, Jackson, how are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm in, I'm in quarantine right now. I, uh, Test, tested positive yesterday, so I've been under lock and key in my room. But, but I'm do- good enough, good enough condition to talk some football. You love to see it. I mean, very unfortunate. Hope hope you're feeling all right. But
0: it does mean you have more time to study and prep for the Redshirt Podcast. So you know that is true. There there are always some positives to take out of negative situations. <laughs> um, but let's hop right into it. Uh, the first game on Sunday. And let me, I I don't know why I don't have the time on me. I believe it's at what twelve Pacific twelve Pacific, yeah, twelve Pacific. It's at twelve Pacific at or on CBS. It is the Bengals and the Chiefs. The Chiefs are seven
1: point home favorites. I'll uh, send it off to Jackson. Uh, well, if you heard our wild card episode, you will remember that my Super Bowl picks was Bengals losing to the Cowboys. Now, obviously. Cowboys are already out of it, but the Bengals are still staying strong in the AFC championship. And because of that, I have to take the Bengals to win this game, covering their massive seven point spread. Ivan winning 43 to 40, hitting the over of 54 and a half very comfortably. Um, Whether you favor the Chiefs or the Bengals, this game is going to be an absolute shootout. The Chiefs offense against the Bills last week in the divisional round just dumped 42 points on the number one defense in the league in terms of DVOA and the bagels these past few weeks have been consistently atop the APA per play charts. They've been very efficient and very explosive. Now, obviously last week, Cincinnati struggled to get some offensive production, but Tennessee's defense is just outside the top 10 in defensive DVOA and Kansas City is 24th. They're they're going against a much worse defense here. And I have full confidence that this offense is going to bounce back. The thing that killed Cincinnati so much last week was Tennessee's pass rush. Jeffrey Simmons was having a field day along with guys like Bud Dupree, et cetera. Um, Kansas city does not share that same front that, that same scary front four that Tennessee has. They've got Chris Jones. Chris Jones reached some havoc last week against Josh Allen. But other than that, they don't really have uh, a second guy that I think can create a huge impact. It's a lot easier to scheme against one guy than two. Um, Kansas City also has, I think, two week of a secondary to hang with this three headed monster of a wide receiving core. You've got Jamar Chase. Who's been that guy all year long. T Higgins has the hot hand and he's been great contested catching. And Tyler Boyd is a fantastic, deep, deep threat for Joe, Bur- Joe Burrow to look towards. Uh, Cincinnati's defense looked really strong last week against an offense with lots of star power. Granted, Derrick Henry had a metal plate in his foot. He obviously was not the explosive Derrick Henry that we are used to seeing. And Ryan Tannehill didn't play the greatest, but nonetheless, this offense is fantastic when they're all healthy. Uh, There was a reason why I was so high on them going into the season. I thought that they were going to break the, the total season offensive yards, Obviously that didn't happen because they couldn't stay healthy, but um, like I said, really good offense, but for the Bengals, they, they held them, they held their own pretty well. DJ reader, their nose tackle had a fantastic game. He was eating up the run blocks and he was just completely dismantling Tennessee's run game, especially against one of the best running backs in the league. And Jesse Bates also looked really good. He had a really good pass breakup last week. Um, I, I trust in this Bengals defense. Obviously, Kansas City's offense is—they're tough to stop. That's easier said than done. But I think uh, Cincinnati's defense will be able to hold their own. The Chiefs also just played an absolutely wild overtime game that Jeremy and I are going to get into further later. Um, but that kind of play style is very taxing, and I think that that could certainly have an effect on this game. Uh, looking outward, this could very be very well be anyone's game. But I got to stick with my guns. I'm going with the Bengals. They're covering their spread, and they're hitting the over.
0: Yep, so got minus seven, the Chiefs. I think regardless of who you have, you know, winning outright, to me, seven points is is too many points, so I definitely have Bengals plus seven. But I do have the Chiefs winning this game, uh, 36 to 30, um, hitting the over at 54.5. And And I, I understand it's an NFL game. You don't see lines getting too high but I don't know how you couldn't smash that 54-and-a-half with the way the Chiefs have been scoring and the way that the Bengals have been moving the ball. Um, To me, when you break it down to X factors, when you're talking about the Bengals, it's – I mean, you hear it over and over again, but it's true. It's the offensive line. They will not be able to win again if they give up in the ballpark of nine sacks. It's just – it's not – Sustainable and granted, you mentioned I, I don't think the Kansas City front four, front seven is as great as Tennessee's, but you have a guy like Chris Jones. And truly, I, I don't know if Cincinnati has proven that it matters who exactly they're going against. The offensive line is just not good, and they got to give Joe Burrow some time to really make it happen. So, on the other side, I'd say for the Chiefs, which You could argue it's the opposite, but I would say the Chiefs defensive backs, you were talking about the talented receivers for Cincinnati. Jamar Chase has eclipsed, you know, 100 yards in both the first two games. T. Higgins has really come into his own. Tyler Boyd, you know, respectable receiver. So the Chiefs DBs have to be able to hold up. And that's kind of the balance. If the Bengals offensive line is able to play passable, I, I think that really is gonna work to their favor. obviously, we're to their favorite. But this is that I don't think these chiefs DBs are gonna be able to hang with Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, and T Higgins very well. But so that's the that's the kind of cat and mouse game. If the Chiefs can get home, if the Chiefs are gonna get the pressure, that's gonna dictate this game. Um, for as much offense as there's gonna be, they this game will be won and lost in the trenches. Um, and ultimately to me, The Bengals, look, they've been doubted, you know, first round, second round throughout the year. And all they do is they continue to win. They continue to win. Um, Props to Joe Burrow for this meteoric rise. Um, Coming back from his injury, playing great. He's still not better than Justin Herbert, but really good. Um, I just ultimately, to me, that offensive line really scares me. And when it comes down to it, Pat, Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. And the way maybe this is just some bias and, you know, not valid just in terms of looking at a couple plays, but watching the ch- end of that game last week in the Chiefs Bills, I mean, it was as beautiful as I've ever seen the way Patrick Mahomes, he, he was just, he was flawless. I remember, you know, midseason, early in the season, people were like, Oh, you know, was Patrick Mahomes broken? Is, you know, who we thought he was, Beautiful, absolutely beautiful against the Bills. And, you know, in the same vein, I don't really know how how the Bengals plan to stop the likes of Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. I mean, Tyreek Hill, I think it is the most disrespectful and badass thing I have ever seen. The defender was in front of him, and he flashed the peace sign. Like, only Tyreek Hill can do that because he just knows that he's faster than him and is going to break the tackle so on and so forth. So that's just that's crazy. Um so when it comes down to it, I'm taking the more experienced guys. I'm taking Mahomes. I'm taking, you know, the home field factor at Arrowhead. Uh I thought it was funny Joe Burrow was saying that he's probably had, you know, been in louder environments in the SEC and I I, I don't necessarily think he's wrong, but playing, you know, the difference between playing at arrowhead versus you know playing not at arrowhead. I, I think there is a factor. Um, so that all being said, I do have the Chiefs winning a back and forth high-scoring game 36-30. Um, and we'll move on to the second game. The San Francisco 49ers against the Los Angeles Rams. Um, the Rams are three and a half point home favorites. Um, this game's at 3.30 uh, Pacific time, and the over-under is at a uh, straight-up
1: 46. So this is a classic NFC West battle. We've already seen a couple times this season. Niners won them both, but Kyle Shanahan owns the Rams. He's, like I said, 2-0 oh this season, but he's 7-3 and three in this matchup of all time, and he's won his last four However, I don't think that this week is going to be the same. I think the Niners are covering their three-and-a-half-point spread, but the Rams are winning 26-23, to 23, hitting the over of 46. Um, looking at the Niners' last game against Green Bay, they, they obviously won, but it was not in a very beautiful fashion. Their offense looked absolutely horrible. The rushing attack was not nearly as dominant as it usually is. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't at that level – where it's just – it wasn't at the level that the Niners usually run at. Jimmy G looked horrible. He was so inaccurate. He was bad in the pocket. Uh, he, he throws so many interceptable passes, and I think that the Rams are going to make him pay for that a lot more than Green Bay did. Um, the Niners won 13-10, to 10, but keep in mind – They only scored one touchdown and it came from a blocked punt off of green Bay. Their offense put up a total of six points. Jimmy G is, is clearly not their guy. I would not be surprised if Trey Lance gets at least a little bit of time, just because of how bad Jimmy G has been in the playoffs. Remember that Cowboys game? He can never play a full four quarters of good football and Come, when you get deeper and deeper into the playoffs, that's not going to be acceptable. I would not be surprised if Shanahan pulls the string on him and lets Trey Lance play a little bit. Um, like I said earlier, he threw a ton of just terrible passes against Green Bay. That's going. You're going to have a lot less of a margin for error when Aaron Donald and Von Miller are clogging up the pocket and Jalen Ramsey will be going toe-to-toe against Debo slash Ayuk. Stafford really looked like he figured it out last week. There was a couple of weeks, especially towards the end of the regular season where he just looked really inconsistent, not this time. Stafford looked like he was hitting on all of his throws uh, for a full for the, uh, the whole game, really, especially that final deep shot to cup to put him into field goal range. He gave Tom Brady a taste of his own medicine with an unreal comeback in the playoffs, uh, that 40 something yard pass to Cooper Cup to put him in field goal range as Matt Gay hit the the field goal as time expired to give the Rams the win. Uh, Right now, this offense is clicking more than they have at any point in this season. And I understand that this is a very favorable matchup for the Niners because they they seem to always beat the Rams within the last four or five years. But um, the Rams look a lot better right now. And I don't really trust Jimmy G uh, the further that he gets into the playoffs. So I'm giving this one to the Rams.
0: Yeah, this one. And I think we had pretty same ideas on the Chiefs, uh, Chiefs Bengals game, just different results. This one, I think we are pretty much in sync. I have the Rams covering their three and a half point spread um, and winning by a score of 27 to 17, which will hit the under on 46. The X factors, it comes down to the quarterback play. You talk about Jimmy G and, you know, there are two sides to the story. Yes. Generally speaking, the Niners have won games with Jimmy G at quarterback, but the stats will tell you that it's not necessarily because of Jimmy G this postseason, He is 27 of 44 with 303 yards and two interceptions. Not great. And then if you just pull up his regular season stats, like here, I'm, I'll pull him up right now just for reference. it's it's not great. it's it's just not he's not exceptional. He is more lifted by the talent around him than he he doesn't lift the talent. I mean he he just he's not he's not a true franchise quarterback. like I don't think and I could be proven wrong if they win this game. I, I see no reason why they can't win the Super Bowl, but he's not a Super Bowl caliber quarterback per se. Um, and he just, he hasn't really done anything to dispel that. Like, I understand it was weird conditions last week, but it, I mean, they didn't score an offensive touchdown. He looked bad, honestly, like worse than the stats would show you. Um, and I, I love Trey Lance. You'll hear more about that later. I love Trey Lance. I don't think that they'd pull the trigger and let him play right now, but I wish that they would have given Lance some more opportunities towards the end of the year, because I see I, I, Lance is just so much more dynamic. I think Lance could utilize their weapons a lot more Um, Then the other side of the quarterback matchup is Matthew Stafford, who, as you mentioned, um, was struggling a little bit towards the end of the year, a little worried about what he was going to be like heading into the playoffs. And then he just totally dispelled those rumors, played a solid game against Arizona. Didn't really miss many throws, followed it up with a phenomenal game against the Buccaneers through for you know 370 yards two touchdowns or so it was incredible the connection him and cooper cup on that last drive to seal the game um it was great stafford one of the best quarterbacks against the blitz which played to his favor against tampa bay tampa bay is one of the highest blitzing teams um, from former jets head coach todd Bowles. Um, but the difference is the niners are not a heavy blitz team and You know, that shows with some of Stafford's struggle against them. He's thrown four picks in their two matchups. Um, But to me, you know, obviously, I think in general, Stafford better quarterback than Jimmy G. But I love where Stafford is right now. I think they're peaking at the right time. They didn't close out as strong. The uh, Rams offense didn't close out as strong as they probably would have liked against Tampa Bay um, with some of the fumbles and such. But I don't necessarily think that was – them like not playing well as a cohesive unit like like it wasn't me it wasn't on Matthew Stafford that was um you know there was the weird botched snap um the field goal that was short somehow uh I believe what it was a Cam Cam Akers fumble Cooper Cup fumble as well like it wasn't um it was a Stafford thing and I don't think it was indicative of the Rams offense truly struggling so I really like that um, but they're going up against a really good Niners defense. Um, like, I don't, there, there's not much to say about it. The Niners defense, it's been solid this postseason. You know, they haven't given, they gave up 17 to the Cowboys, 10 to the Packers. You know, they really haven't. When you look at their season totals, they just have not, they've been very good at limiting those points. And ultimately I wouldn't expect, you know, I really like the under in this game because I don't think the Niners are going to put up a ton of points and, I just because I don't believe in Jimmy Garoppolo and I think in the Rams sense. I like where the Rams offense is going, but I I can't really see them hitting necessarily that 30 point mark. Um, But I do have them getting up to 27 because I think that they can take advantage of Jimmy Garoppolo mistakes because um, Jimmy Garoppolo, the way that the offense is moving for the Rams, the Rams are going to at least score a little bit. And that means that they're going to put, especially if they get ahead early, they're going to put Jimmy Garoppolo in a situation where he is going to have to pass some obvious passing situations. And I think that's where the Rams can take advantage. Um, Trent Williams is expected to play. I believe Um, it was something like, I think Shanahan said that he didn't practice today, but like Williams was like, I'm playing. So so he'll, he'll play probably, but, when you have game wreckers like Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey um, it's, it's challenging for any quarterback, but I think especially for Jimmy G when he needs to step up, I don't, I, he hasn't given me any reason to trust him. And I think the Rams can, you know, can force turnovers and turn, you know, score points off that. I think that's the most important uh, thing for the Rams. It's, it's almost like basketball turn good defense into offense. And yeah, I, I you know, I don't think this is an indictment on the 49ers defense. Niners defense is really good. And I don't think it's an indictment on the 49ers weapons. The 49ers weapons are great. Debo Samuel has emerged as one of, if not the most, you know, versatile weapons in, in the whole league. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, after being in the doghouse to start the year, he's come into his own as expected, the great Arizona State graduate or Arizona State product. George Kittle is an absolute beast. I mean, you know, debate him, Kelsey, whatever. He's he's top two, regardless if I slice it up. But Mahler in the run game. Um, you know, I, I, I love George Kittle. If you don't love George Kittle, I don't I don't know what to tell you. I, I would tell you to listen to some of his mic'd up stuff. He is hilarious, super nice guy. Running-wise, uh, the rookie Elijah Mitchell, he's been a breakout star from Louisiana offensive line solid it's just the all of the pieces are around and jimmy g is fine but is jimmy g enough to beat a more you know, cohesive rams team a good rams defense i i just i don't i don't see it they they didn't score an offensive touchdown last week they won in spite purely in spite of jimmy g's play and i know that i'm just you know dragging on jimmy g right now but it it's just the truth um I'm not saying that they necessarily it's as simple as they win with Lance, but I just think Lance in general moving forward, which I, I I keep alluding to, um it gives them more of that Super Bowl opportunity. And so yeah, I have 27-17 Rams final score uh with the under 46. So just, just to wrap it up, Jackson, what 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 are we
1: thinking on these conference championship games? What are what are some other things you're looking for? Um Like you said, Kittle, I want to see him get involved a little bit more. He's been a little bit excluded out of Shanahan's scheme. Shanahan runs uh, a little bit of an exclusive offense, really. That's why Iuke wasn't getting a lot of time. It's why Trey Sermon, their third-round pick, isn't playing right now because Shanahan likes to build his offense around a couple different guys instead of utilizing all 11 at a a low amount. Um, And that means Kittle's production is going to be really off and on. I like to see – I'm a Seahawks fan, so – Obviously, I I don't like the Niners, but Kittle's a guy you kind of have to root for. And uh, considering my team isn't anywhere near the playoffs right now, uh, I'd like to see Kittle get a little bit more production.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I'm interested to see um, what the run game looks like in the chiefs Bengals game. You know, there's going to be a lot of talk about, well, there has been a lot of talk about the quarterback matchup, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, and all all their wide receiver weapons. But that's, you know, you can't forget about Joe Mixon, who, you know, absolute stud. And we've seen Kansas City. Clayton Edwards-Hilaire hasn't really blossomed into the running back that they'd hoped. But they've still been able to have some useful guys. Jarek McKinnon really stepping up, which I, I wasn't necessarily expecting. They're, and they they don't run it heavy. They don't ask a lot of them. But McKinnon's also been useful out of the backfield. And it's just going to be interesting to see how they balance that. Um that dynamic. Cause it, I, I think by the end of the game, you know, we're going to be in shootout territory, but how do they establish, do they establish the run game, move into some play action looks, or are we just bombing away from the start? That's, that's one of the things I'm looking for. And then one, one less uh, field focus thing is, is I'm interested to see what the crowd looks like for the Rams game is yes. <laughs> I believe the Rams made it. So you can only buy tickets if you are in the greater Los Angeles area, because, Week 18 49ers fans took over SoFi Stadium, which you'd think would make more sense if they were playing the Chargers, but I guess it works when they're playing the Rams too. So I'm interested to see will it really be all Rams fans or will, you know, will they be able to, you know, get will Niners fans go again? It? It's like how for Padres Dodgers um this year. It, especially when it was limited capacity, it was only you know season ticket holders, but you know, Dodgers fans managed to come to Petco anyway. So it'll very, very
1: um, irrelevant thing to look for. Oh, I, I saw something on Twitter that said like, there is very, there's a very reasonable chance that this stadium is like 65% Niners fans.
0: Yeah. I mean, we'll see it. That's why I, um, shout out baseball coach, Mr. McConan. He was telling me that he went, he went to the week 18 game and that it was, it was, it was crazy. It was just like, it was Levi North or North, Leave Levi Self. South. <laughs> um, but yeah. So that's what we got in terms of the conference championship. Now we're going to talk about, you know, a hot topic issue relating to how we got to this conference championship, and that is overtime rules. For those of you guys that don't know, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs defeated the Buffalo Bills last weekend um, in overtime. Chiefs won the coin toss, scored a touchdown, and that was the game. So we're just we're going to discuss what we're thinking um, on the overtime, what possible uh, what possible solutions there could be, how you know
1: how to make it possibly more fair. So I'll I'll hand it off to Jackson. So so like you said, Jeremy, this is kind of a hot topic right now, and there's a lot of controversy on whether or not the overtime rules need to be changed. I am on the side that we do need to change them. Um, Looking into that Bill's chiefs game, Josh Allen scored the go ahead touchdown with 13 seconds left in the game, never touched the field again and lost. And I think I'm not going to go out and say that he lost on a coin flip, but I think the way that the rules are structured, that's just, that's just not fair to him. Um, So I get the point of, of overtime trying to being, the point of overtime is to end the game. That's why it's called overtime. But I think with my proposition, it will create the most quality football while limiting injuries as much as much as possible. And the, that's, that's the other concern with changing the overtime rules is, is injuries uh, my thing with that, I, I'm all for protecting players as much as possible. We have to do everything we can to make sure players are p- players avoid injury. The yeah. thing with that is anytime you take the field as a player, you are risking an injury. And I guarantee you that any player will be willing to take that risk in overtime. This is not a time like, like preseason or something like that where it's not Crucial to their season, but any any overtime game and either just a, just an exhibition or in this case, a playoff game, players will be more than willing to to go on the field and risk an injury. Um, So here here's my proposition. I, I am not someone who wants to move to college rules because um, I think the games go a little bit too long and it juices the stats a ton. So, so my proposition is that we we keep the current overtime rules, except we change that a touchdown does not win it. Meaning, um, if the team that wins the coin toss uh, receives it, goes and scores a touchdown, the team that deferred gets a chance to put up however many points with the uh, the conversion that that the receiving team did, and if they they tie it, then the game goes on and next score wins. Uh, I also think that we should remove ties from overtime because no NFL fan wants to see their team end in a tie. I think 99% of people are are against ties, and I think that this is something that we should have done long ago. I don't think ties should be a part of the game. Um, So uh, my proposition, we play one full overtime with touchdown doesn't win it, if time expires and the game is still tied, we move to a sudden death field goal shootout, which means that um, the the kickers from the opposing team each get one try at a field goal and the distance would progressively increase uh, the further it has to go on, but um, The the very first time that one team makes a field goal and one team misses one, then the team who made the field goal would win. And what this does, this does two things. This uh, removes a little bit of the injury risk because all that any of the starters are risking is four quarters of football and one full overtime period, which is no different than what it is now. Uh, Every time they take the field, That's how much they're risking, and it can even be more if it's playoffs. But this way, um, it transitions it to special teams where players are a lot less likely to get injured. And it puts a lot more of an emphasis on kickers, which I think are a super underrated position as it is. Kickers are consistently the leading scorers for teams, and I don't think people view them highly enough. Uh, Putting this rule into effect would change that making kickers a much more important position in the NFL. And uh, it would just show how much more they could swing a game. So that's my proposition. Uh, I'll, I'll turn it over to Jeremy and see what he has for you, but that's what I think we should do to fix overtime. Um, it's it's very interesting. I I, I, je- I agree
0: with, you know, the principles you laid out. And I think I'd be cool with it, with that proposal it makes a hundred percent sense to me. Um, but to me, I, I'm a fan of college overtime. I think college overtime, I don't know if I want to say it's perfect, but look, the NFL, it's about entertainment. And I'm not saying, you know, they, they've since changed the college rules. It's not to say that you want overtime games to be like that iconic 74 to 72 Texas A and MLSU game, but scoring equals entertainment. And maybe you could alter it a little bit maybe start at the 50 yard line instead of the 25. So you're not immediately in field goal range. Um, but I I just think that'd be the most effective, most exciting way to do it is you want your, the guys in scoring range. You don't want something. You don't want punts. I think that's the best thing in terms of entertainment value. And when you put them on the even playing field like that, I just, I, I think it's, I think it's perfect. And, um, And then I, I'm trying to, I don't remember the exact college overtime structure, but I think the way that it's been put in place um, where you have to start going for two, I believe it's after, after two overtimes, you have to start going for two after, after a touchdown. And then I want to say, is it, it's four, maybe five where you just do the two point shootout. Cause I think that people don't realize when in college overtime, the way that it's structured now. I mean, it, going to an extra overtime isn't as long as it sounds because it's merely a couple plays. Like it, when you get into the Sun death, you know, two-point shootouts, it doesn't really, it, you know, it, it's more quarters, but it's not necessarily a ton of plays when you're just going back and forth on the two-point conversion. Um, so that, that that's what I'm a fan of. I think college football overtime is just so iconic. And again, the scoring thing, to me, that's the biggest thing. And that's you know, they might not adopt exactly what college did, but I think that'll be a big thing. And when they're discussing a possible rule change, is that I think they the NFL um wants it to be as it's not again, not to say that they want it to be super, super high scoring, but you know, entertainment value points equal entertainment. No one wants to see puns in overtime. Um, but I'm thinking about, and I really like your kicker proposition. I, I think it's very interesting. Um, and it makes sense to me ultimately. To me, I think any sort of change would be better because I agree, I, I still think the bills deserve to lose the game in the sense that they had the game won. If you don't give up, you know, points with 13 seconds left, it's as simple as that, but it's definitely, you know, it's certainly not fair. We, I feel like everyone knew whoever was winning the coin toss was winning that game, that the defenses just were not showing up um, even on, even with 13 seconds left, they weren't showing up. Uh, and so for the bills to lose like that is first off awesome because I hate the bills, but second off, just not, not fair, not good for the sport, not how you want uh, one of the best games I've ever seen. end. I just, I don't think that's how you want games to end. And then the last thing, ties serve absolutely no purpose. There's no reason to have a tie. Um, I understand you don't want to you don't want to go into like another overtime situation, but that's why if you go into a sudden death kind of thing, whether it be field goals, two point conversions, anything of that nature, I mean, you there's no reason to have ties. I would almost rather lose than tie. I mean in terms of you know success, like I'd rather I'd rather tie, I guess. But in terms of satisfaction, there is nothing worse than a tie, and like players don't want to tie. You if you're making them play in overtime, at you know putting their bodies on line again, there's no reason for there to be ties. What what good do ties do? What is the value that ties bring? I I I, I don't know. So that's my take on overtime. Do um, you have anything to add, Jackson?
1: Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna hop onto your your tie slander a little bit. My I my main issue with ties is that they're supposed to be this like neutral ending where it's like you you don't feel good about them and you don't feel bad about them but i've seen i've seen my team tie one time and it did not feel any better or if it uh, maybe a little bit better than when we lost because whenever you tie you know you've had plenty of opportunities to win it you're never happy like Oh thank god. We got out of that game with a tie. And I I just think it if we remove ties it would make for for more longer quality football and uh you you never want to see your team end in a tie. So so that's why I think we should pull them. Yep. Um 100% in agreement. And
0: yeah, I mean look, any sort of change to me will be good coin flips just shouldn't decide the game like that i feel like i saw a statistic where it was like the team that um receives i don't know if this is right i feel like i just saw this on instagram like the team that receives i don't know if it, it must have been specific to the playoffs like as one every time except for the the saints rams game where the nicole roby coleman pat pass interference no call so something like that The the point is the odds make it very clear. You win the coin toss, you are in the drivers. seat. So, yeah. Um, now we're going to segue into something a little different. We're going to look at the rising second year quarterbacks, that being the rookie class um, of 2021. And we're going to, you know, ra- rank their future outlook and um, just kind of our general thoughts on them and their situations moving forward. Um, so Jackson, I'll let you go ahead. Do we want to do, bottom to
1: top or top to bottom uh i'm good with whatever okay i'll, I'll follow your lead okay uh, i'm gonna go i'll go bottom to top um unfortunately jeremy i've got to go with your guy i am not buying in to zach wilson um honestly for for each quarterback in uh that was picked in the first round this last year my opinion hasn't really changed on them since they were drafted I was not high on Zach Wilson going into the draft, and I'm not high on Zach Wilson now. Uh, He's got a big arm, sure, but he's displaying a lot of problems that were very clearly addressed on his draft board. He's not accurate at all. He is a horrible decision maker. He is a terrible game IQ, and he is the definition of a turnover machine. Zach Wilson is always playing panicked because when he was in college, he very rarely saw NFL-level pockets. His pockets were always super, super clean, meaning he never really learned how to diagnose a pass rush. And because of that, it's really affected him, especially behind this Jets offensive line, who hasn't been great when they are healthy and hasn't been healthy this year at all. Mikai Becton, their best lineman, has missed plenty of time. Um, he, he certainly got the physical tools to develop, but just, just because of uh, the way he played in college, I personally uh, do not see it from Zach Wilson. So I have him ranked fifth. Um, okay. For me, I have
0: Justin Fields ranked fifth. And I'd like to start off by saying, I think all five of these quarterbacks taken in the first round have a very good chance to succeed. I think all of them are very, very talented. Um, The reason that I have Fields last is because I just feel like he is in the worst situation of these five. Um, It's nice that Nagy's gone but then they go out and hire a defensive minded coach and look, it's not, it's not a be all end all them. Not hiring, you know, a quarterback guru doesn't mean that Justin Fields is going to be terrible, but it just, it's hard to hard to get you excited and confident about him moving forward. Um, there, you know, the weapons just aren't really there. Um, I'm, I am a fan of Darnell Mooney. Uh, but we saw, you know, Allen Robinson just go ghost mode and he's, he's likely gone. Um, Fields he threw for uh, about 1,900 yards, had seven touchdowns to ten interceptions. Um, we know that he's, you know, he's a good runner, true dual threat kind of guy. Um, had a couple rushing touchdowns, but he he had a little bit of a fumbling issue. Um, needs to get that under control. I think that if the Bears are able to build around him, you know, build a strong offensive line, be able to add weapons, I think they can do it. And that's the thing for any quarterback is that, or at least most quarterbacks is you need that foundation around you. But like this, an example of sorts, like I'll throw out Josh Allen. Um, Allen obviously struggled early on and now he's awesome because he has, you know, he has Stefan Diggs has, has better weapons, but that offensive line is still not great. But the thing about Allen is Allen is so athletic and it, the his, play style in terms of the way he can diagnose pressure um, and roll out, you know, he, he's able to overcome that. And that um, Justin Fields is an athletic guy, but I don't think he has the, he doesn't have great feel for pressure. Um, and I think that he, he's not going to be able to elevate his team around him with, you know, without having significant upgrades um, at skill positions and on the offensive line. So, I think it, look, it wouldn't surprise me if Fields is able to turn out just of these guys. I would say I'm the lowest on him.
1: Okay. Uh, my, oh, I before, I, before I jump into that, I'm going to say, like, I'm with Jeremy here. I think each of these guys has at least a decent chance to become a competent quarterback. I think that this is certainly one of the better quarterback classes that we've ever seen. Um, I, I like all of, I like at least most of these guys. Um, So, so like Zach Wilson being at the bottom, I I think Zach Wilson definitely has a chance to be a competent starting quarterback in the league in the future. He's just the guy that I see as least likely. Um, So with that being said, my number four is Mac Jones, who looked like probably the best rookie quarterback this year, but, uh, I, I don't think that he's going to get much better. He doesn't possess any fantastic physical tools. And with the way that the game is moving right now, uh, I, I think he's just a little bit obsolete. His arm is pretty weak. He's, he's accurate, but he's, he's inconsistent about it. Sometimes he, he's fit balls this season into windows that are so tiny. It's fantastic. And he's also missed some egregiously open throws. I think he's a pretty good game IQ, but I think that's going to come with any Belichick quarterback. Uh, his pocket diagnosis is a disaster. I don't remember uh, what game it was against, but I remember I was scouting him for one of the videos I was making. He was facing like a seven-man pass rush. and He, he was in shotgun, step back. He did not move his feet at all besides his drop back. He dropped back waits a couple seconds, throws it and got hit because of course he did. He had 12 guys in the pocket um, and threw a really bad pick. And I think that's a trend that I've seen from him uh, pretty much all season. I don't think that he has just the mental awareness in the pocket that uh, an NFL quarterback needs. Uh, I think he could, he could be serviceable. He's serviceable now, but I don't really think I see him just, Rising above this level as I do with the other guys above him, uh, just because he doesn't really have the physical tools to be on par with them,
0: yeah. So for me, I also have Mac Jones at four, and you got to give credit where credit's due. A lot of people, including myself, um, you know, we're skeptical about what if he's a pro quarterback, what he could do. And look, he he was the better quarterback, um, out of camp, and he, you know, he he showed that through the year. Is he? A great quarterback no the thing about mac jones is he does what's needed um he doesn't necessarily elevate the guys around him but he doesn't bring them down either uh he doesn't have you know anywhere close to the same arm talent as the rest of these guys um and you were saying with his accuracy i would say in general he's fairly accurate but he's not it's not to say that he's what like elite accuracy is no you know drew breeze kind of guy um The thing about Mac Jones is we've seen this and I don't think I would expect significant regression from the way he's played. I think the plays right now is very sustainable, but the question is how much higher can he elevate his game? And that's why I have him at four. Um, I think you could argue that he's the safest quarterback, um, but I also don't think he has the tools to be the best quarterback. And that's one of those things as it stands. Um, I think that he can lead a team, you know, far in the playoffs. I know I was just bagging on Jimmy Garoppolo about, you know, needing an elite quarterback to be, you know, to win. But I think he's better than Jimmy Garoppolo in the sense that he's an actual game manager. Jimmy Garoppolo just sucks. Like like Mac Jones, for the most part, was able to limit turnover, especially he he is still a rookie, and you have to keep that in mind. he's he played a little more like a veteran, but he is still a rookie. He's prone to rookie mistakes. But I, I think he was really good at truly managing the game, getting it done. They really relied on that run game. And generally, I don't think, run. you know, this is a whole separate conversation. I don't think you can really win titles off of running the ball. But I also don't think you have to throw the ball 40 times and be, you know, an air attack like, you know, like Kansas City and such. So Jones, solid, just doesn't have the, you know, the general skills as the rest of the players. But he has... There's a certain level of intangibles and understanding um, and, you know, not to be lost on is that he is with Bill Belichick and the Belichick factor is
1: definitely real. So Mac Jones, number four. Okay. And coming in at number three, uh, I have the 49ers Trey Lance. Now Trey Lance has, in my opinion, pretty considerably the highest ceiling out of anyone in this class but his floor is just very low. He's a very boomer bust player. Um, He reminds me a lot of Josh Allen when the Bills drafted him in that he has as many physical tools as you could ask for, but his talent is just very raw. He's a lot of untapped potential, and he's going to need a couple seasons of development. But uh, if you play your cards right with him, he could turn out to be a fantastic quarterback and look how that's paid off for the bills so far with Josh Allen. He's widely considered a top three, if not top two quarterback in the league right now. Um, Lance, he's, he's pretty inaccurate. I've seen a lot of accuracy issues out of him, but he has an absolute cannon for an arm. Um, He's very mobile. He's the best running quarterback out of this class by far. And he is some of the best pocket presence I've ever seen out of a rookie. He is constantly dodging pass rush and he can stay in the pocket while he does it. He doesn't need to force himself out of the pocket. He can still be elusive while staying uh, within the hashes. Uh, his, with his development, he's going to need to work on his accuracy, but it seems like he's already a pretty smart quarterback. He was, uh, he was showing up Jimmy G in camp in terms of, his game IQ and, and all that stuff. Uh, but but the main thing that it comes down to for him is the development. And the reason that I am confident in him uh, is because of the 49ers quarterback coach, Rich Scangarello. Rich Scangarello was the Broncos offensive coordinator in 2019. The Broncos offense was not good that season, but that was for a lot of reason, reasons outside of Scangarello's control. That roster was not very good. Um, but the final five games of that 2019 season drew rookie drew Locke got the start and that season drew Locke in five starts went four and one he completed like 65 percent of his passes and going into the off season he was probably the number one candidate for a dark horse mvp if you were to take a survey and say who is your dark horse mvp drew Locke probably would have been the most common answer um that season rich stangaro left the broncos became the 49ers quarterback coach And then the next thing you know, Drew Locke falls off a cliff. And that is a positive enough trend for me to believe that this guy at least knows a little bit about what he's talking about uh, in terms of rookie quarterbacks. I trust him with Lance. And if Lance pays off, he will be the best quarterback in this class. Uh, But just because his floor is so low, I have him at third. So for me at number three, I have the
0: former number one overall pick, Trevor Lawrence. And the thing about Trevor Lawrence is, even through a shaky um, a shaky rookie year, there's no doubt about his physical tools. Because the thing is, when you look at shaky rookie year, you got to add some context to it. And that is that, you know, the team around him isn't particularly good, not a great offensive line, not great weapons. And when you have, you know, the clown show of Urban Meyer as your head coach, you know, and him him being fired and scandal and just the, the jaguars exude dysfunction um it, you know to really encapsulate but he look he didn't he didn't play well he um he 59.6 completion percentage 12 touchdown to 17 interception uh, ratio he just he I, I don't know if you look at the game by game he had some like some better games than others but it didn't feel like he was really able to put it together consistently. I will say his last game against Indianapolis was really where he looked like um, the the Trevor Lawrence that we expected. He played very well in that game. But it it felt like with such high pedigree, I don't think anyone expected him to be flawless, just given that Jacksonville's not particularly great. But to see him struggle so immensely, I think, is surprising. But even, even through the struggles, you can still see the arm talent is there. Um, he still has the crazy physical build. All that talent is still there. The biggest thing to me was that his accuracy um, has cost him a little bit and his decision-making just hasn't been the same. I don't know if that's a product of transitioning to, you know, really good receivers at Clemson, to trans, you know, to not as great receivers for um, the Jaguars. It just felt like the decision-making wasn't quite as keen as it was. It felt like he was trying to force it a little too often. Um, but when it's all said and done, um, Trevor Lawrence is still really good. Um, the thing to me, and I think if he was, I would say, mm, I think I, I think if Trevor Lawrence was on, I think there may be a good like, I'd say like maybe uh, uh, around twenty-five other teams that I think if Trevor Lawrence was on, I will put him number one on this list. But for Trevor Lawrence, I just I'm I'm not a believer in the Jaguars in the slightest. And I think Trevor uh, Lawrence will be really good, um, but I, I feel like it's hard to see him having, you know, being in, incredible, incredible um, best quarterback in the league while he's on this Jaguars team until, you know, Jaguars are in a spot where until they, you know, prove themselves um, to, to have change, then then I'll believe them. And I, I totally skipped over the fact um, that if, If it is uh, Byron Leftwich hired as the head coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars, I think that will be a good positive development for Lawrence. Um, I think he just, Leftwich would be a great guy to help guide him through, especially after a up and down rookie year with so many moving factors with Urban Meyer. I think Leftwich would be a very
1: good mentor for Trevor Lawrence. So yeah, Lawrence, a number three for me. So my number two just happens to be Jeremy's number five. My number two is Justin Fields. Uh, I pride myself in being the biggest Justin Fields defender that I know uh, since he was drafted. I've been so high on Fields ever since the Bears took him at, I think, 11th overall, if I'm correct on that. Um, And I've been raving about him ever since. He really reminds me of the league's next Russell Wilson Uh, And it is a real shame that he is tied to the bears because they are in a really poor financial situation to improve the offensive holes around him. They have, they're paying Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn, both a ton of money. And they gave Eddie Jackson a really bad extension that is starting to bite him right now. They don't have very much cap flexibility at all. And they have a lot of free agents on that offensive side of the ball. Um, So it'll be interesting to see what they do, but I, I really don't expect much improvement coming Justin Fields' way. Um, despite his his shaky rookie year, uh, most of that coming from the pocket presence. His pocket presence is really bad. He just dances around in the pocket a little bit too much. Um, there's one play this season against the Vikings on Monday Night Football where uh, the, the offensive line just collapsed as it usually does with the Bears, and Fields just ran straight backwards and lost like 10 more yards than he needed to. Um, And that, that was a consistent theme this whole year. And uh, but overall, I really like the tools that he's showing. He's very mobile. Uh, He's pretty accurate out of this. I I think he's the most accurate guy right now out of anyone on this list. He shows solid arm strength. He throws his passes with a lot of zip, which I value pretty highly because it means you can fit the ball into tight windows, especially with how accurate he is. Uh, And he throws really well on the run, which he's going to be on the run a lot behind this bears offensive line. Um, my other issue with him besides his pocket presence is he's pretty prone to taking big hits and turnovers. Um, one of that being one of that one reason for that is because he dances around the pocket a little too much. Like I said earlier, um, makes him prone to sacks, but when he runs, uh, it's not very common that he slides, uh, and that makes him pretty prone to injury fumbling, whatever, Uh, but both of those, both dancing around in the pocket and taking big hits are, are play style issues. And those are something that I think they're very easy to adjust. It's not something with him that I think, Oh, he lacks this physically or he needs more development in this area. I think fields has good vision in the pocket. He's just not smart about what he's doing. And that could easily come with just one off season of development Uh, I trust him to make that jump, even with how little is around him. Uh, I really like Justin Fields going forward. And uh, I I really do want to look back on that Russell Wilson comparison. They have a very similar skill set, and they both have kind of the same issues, same build. Um, That's, and me being a Seahawks fan, uh, I value players like that. So I think I I really like Fields going forward. Well, at number two,
0: we have someone that I think the biggest you know, Jackson and I have the biggest disagreement on, and that is the New York Jets own Zach Wilson. And I think that if you, you know, switching Lawrence and and Wilson, I, I would not blame you at all. Um, I think there's definitely some jets bias going into into that for me. But the thing about Zach Wilson is he started off, I mean, horribly, like he he, he played very bad. Uh, You know, Carolina, the stats weren't horrible, but then you see his numbers against New England, um, against Denver. He played he played better against Tennessee, but it just it wasn't clicking. Then he got injured against New England, missed a couple weeks, saw, you know, Mike White take over and beat the Cincinnati Bills, which was crazy. Um, But the thing about Wilson, especially when he came back from his injury, was that he stopped playing hero ball he which was one of his biggest concerns coming out of out of the draft and that's what he was struggling with um to start the year he was playing too much hero ball and he wouldn't take the check down and an issue on top of that was he was missing those layup throws which is just weird because you don't expect you know anyone to miss just easy check downs you know i.e. a slant drag route or just you know a flat to the running back he was missing those throws there was one I feel like there was a swing pass to Braxton Berrios that he, he bounced past it. Um, But the thing about Zach Wilson was his improvement was so abundantly clear. If you watched the team throughout the year, like for, um, for example, when you look down the stretch in their last several games against Jacksonville and I get it, Jacksonville, not a great defense. He looks so much more composed. um, And then in a loss to Tampa Bay, he played phenomenally through for, 234 yards, one touchdown, wasn't phased at all. Um, and that's the thing that I really like about Zach Wilson was as the year went along, he just started playing freely. Um, he It felt like he was getting more settled. And when you watch, he, just, he looked like a different quarterback. Um, he doesn't necessarily have the rushing upside um, as, you know, like Lance or Fields, but he is athletic. We saw him uh, have a big run. He had the 85-yard touchdown. Uh, towards the end of the year, he, had a, he ran for a good 180 yards or so, four touchdowns. He can get it done there. Um, and the biggest thing in terms of more so than even just him improving numbers wise um, in terms of, you know, touchdowns, yards, whatever, um, throughout the end of the season is that in his last final five games, zero turnovers. And that is the biggest thing. And that's why we, that's the biggest reason that we saw Sam Darnold fail in New York and why he's still kind of failing in Carolina is turning the ball over. You cannot be a turnover machine. And Zach Wilson showing that improvement is very, is very important, especially as a Jets fan. I I think there's both some bias, but also just some, some more insight. And I think um, he, he, he hasn't been accurate, but I believe, you know, the Jets, they either got a lead or towards the top in terms of drops, it is incredible how horrific the Jets were reeling in the ball before Corey Davis got hurt. He had total butterfingers. fingers. Um, our tight ends are horrible couldn't catch anything. Keelan Cole, there were a number of beautiful throws from Zach that Keelan Cole dropped. It just it, it wasn't good. Um, but I think moving forward. I think that, look, I know it's the Jets, but I I do think that the Jets are trending in the right direction, especially in terms of building around the quarterback position. Um, The offensive line wasn't great this year, but you got to understand that in the context of that, you know, former first round pick, my Becton was hurt. Um, We saw first round pick Elijah Vera Tucker. He played pretty well Um, set at center. Connor, Connor McGovern serviceable. The biggest thing for the Jets offensive line, which is super important, Uh, For Zach Wilson, is the emergence of George Fant, um, former Seattle Seahawk, who was one of the best tackles in football, period. Um, And I think if you, you know, build upon that, they definitely need a right guard, whether, you know, they could explore an offensive lineman through the draft at number four, whether it be Evan Neal or um, Iki Iguanu from NC State. There are different avenues for that, as well as that with pick number 10, I think a wide receiver is likely in play, whether it be a guy like Garrett Wilson or Traylon Burks. Uh, There are a lot of different options there, as well as with the Jets draft capital. Um, Obviously the defense needs a lot of work, but I think a lot of the defense you can, you can add on a little bit from free agency. I think offense is where the Jets are going to strike through free agent or not. I, I, I literally just said defense through free agency. I think the draft is where they'll find a lot of the offense. We saw Joe Douglas, Draft last year, whether or not you're a fan of Zach Wilson, if you take out Wilson from the equation, absolutely great draft from Joe Douglas, adding pieces around the quarterback. When you add, you know, a a solid left guard, a budding star in Elijah Moore, when he's healthy, man, he's good. Now he's going to get to plan the slot. Um, Michael Carter, the running back. The pieces are improving for Wilson. If he's able to continue to learn to take his check downs, understand when to take that deep shot, He'll be great. Um, continue to avoid those turnovers because his arm talent is so good. He he has all of those physical tools, his throw on the run. So great. And I, I love um, offensive coordinator um, Mike LaFleur, little brother of Matt. Um, I think I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him with a head coaching job soon. He's just a phenomenal play caller. And I think he's been super important um, in the development of Wilson. But I've, I've talked a lot, which is expected, about a guy that I feel very passionately about but I think Zach Wilson has the tools to be a star.
1: That brings me to my final quarterback. Uh, The number one overall pick last year, Trevor Lawrence. I am very sold. I know that this season was very rough for him. I think at one point in the second half of the season, he had like one touchdown or eight weeks, something, something crazy like that. No, Uh, but I am someone what touchdown, what? No touchdown, November. No touchdown November. That was it. Um, but I am someone who values traits a lot more highly than stats, especially production stats like yards and touchdowns, uh, because I don't think those stats always tell the full story. It's always, uh, they're always affected by whatever is around you. And what is around Trevor Lawrence is absolutely egregious. They don't have a good offensive line by any means. Urban Meyer in his short tenure was the worst head coach in NFL history, in my opinion. And the spacing for these receivers is absolutely horrible. I don't think any of these receivers is good uh, regardless of this, but th- the offensive scheming is so bad. The receivers are running so close to each other that they're consistently running into each other, tripping over each other, and they're bringing the, all of the defensive levels so close, and it's really easy to go- to cover. It is just... Very juvenile scheming on on Jacksonville's end, um, but with how much of a dump that they've had on the coaching staff, I do think that that's going to improve, and uh, I, I think the Jags should be able to get some nice receiving pieces uh, through the draft capital. Devonte Adams is a free agent, so guys like Allen Robinson, uh, I, I think that they should at least be able to uh, help these problems. Trevor Lawrence has an absolute cannon of an arm he him and trey lance by far have the biggest arm in this class he moves in the pocket pretty well which is nice to see out of a rookie uh i'm i don't like his decision making uh and and like jeremy said earlier he's not the most accurate quarterback in the world but those are traits that um i don't mind too much out of a rookie quarterback because there's something that you could easily fix as to as opposed to something like arm strength which is uh, a lot a lot more genetic and uh, muscle-related. But um, for a guy with as many physical tools as he has, he is super close to blossoming into a fantastic quarterback in this league. When I was talking about Trey Lance, I raved about his ceiling. I think Lawrence's is just under that, but his floor is much higher than Trey Lance's. Uh, with that being said, I think that once the Jaguars this offseason – Sort of fix their offense a little bit. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to have a much better sophomore season. Uh, And I think going forward, this should be the guy that you're looking for as QB1. My number one, which
0: I think, you know, you might think it's crazy because we haven't seen it from him. This is the one guy on this list who played the least. But my number one is Trey Lance. And the number one reason for this. Is Like I said, I think all of these guys are good. I think all of them have the potential. I think um, that you know, all of them really have a lot of different talents, some similar as well. Biggest thing for Trey Lance, he is in by far the best situation. Um, the Shanahan has been able to take Jimmy Garoppolo to an NFC championship and, and a Super Bowl. Imagine what he can do with a dynamic quarterback. Um, the Shanahan factors, I'm a big fan of um, Mike McDaniels, too, um, their offensive coordinator. And then the weapons realm. we were talking about it earlier. Um, Debo, mo- you know, one of the most versatile guys in the league. George Kittle, dependable tight end. Brandon IU. awesome. Um, stable of running backs, you have um, Elijah Mitchell. Maybe at some point, Trey Sermon will be allowed to play. Um, you know, Raheem Mostert, obviously at ACL, but there's never a doubt about their running game. They're always able to find a way to run the ball, um, solid offensive line. I think they are going to be able to use Lance's skill set Well, um, obviously college, it's hard to, you know, look at his stats in the same vein as other guys, but he was just so flawless in college consistently showing off the arm strength and he definitely is not polished in terms of accuracy. But you can see if you watch him on deep throws, it's impeccable how he's able to—he's able to, you know, fit fit balls in there. Um, you know, when you're able to, th- you have the I'm losing my my train of thought. When you're able to have such nice ball placement on deep throws, it's just there. There's nothing a defense can do about that. You can play as good of coverage, but if you're dropping in the bread basket 50 yards downfield, that's it. Um, he ne- he's not necessarily consistent with that, um, but look, college he, he dominated, and we'll we'll just ha- kind of have to see how that translates, because we haven't seen a ton of him um, on the year, uh, 41 to 71 passing, 57.7 completion percentage, 603 yards, uh, five touchdowns to two interceptions, and a big thing to look for is he has had 38 carries for 168 yards, um, so I think one thing that stands out to me is I don't think that he will run near when he's the full-time quarterback. I do not think he will run at such a high rate. And that is because when he's actually in there as the franchise guy, I don't think they want him taking as many hits. That's not to say that they're going to limit his, you know, dynamic play. But I think a big part of that is this year, knowing that he, you know, he really only made spot starts and served as more of a gadget guy. I don't think they want to show off, um, what exactly their plan is with Lance kind of keeping them under wraps a little bit, but that dual threat, that's something that, you know, we talk about Garoppolo, I think just Garoppolo not being good. This, this title could re- for this episode really could just be Jimmy Garoppolo's bad at football. But the thing is we haven't seen an athletic quarterback in like a Shanahan offense. Like he was, you know, when he was offensive coordinator um, in Atlanta we know when you know obviously 28 to 3. Matt Ryan was, you know, those are the point where Matt Ryan was really good, but still he wasn't a mobile guy. Um, and when you think about the weapons around and the way that Shanahan is able to scheme things up, I think the, the sky is truly the limit. I think there is no question to me that Trey Lance has the highest ceiling um with his arm talent and legs combination. He does need to work on his pocket presence for sure. Um, I think that'll come with some more time. Um, I think it's a little similar to Zach Wilson in certain regards and that there is a big change going from North Dakota state to the NFL level, but he, look, he's, he's shown to be a student of the game. He's, he's incredibly young. He's, he's one of the younger guys in this draft class. Um, but, but I just, I, I love him when I watch Trey Lance, even in his, you know, brief time in the NFL, or if you're just looking at his time at North Dakota state, I just think he's what the modern NFL quarterback is like. He's he he's built different than Josh Allen, but I think that he can have a Josh Allen-esque impact, and that's with a, a better offensive line than Josh Allen. Um, so I think if Trey Lance is able to work on that accuracy, which I think he can, I think, um, it's a lot about getting those first team reps when you're, when you're playing as a backup and there, there's no question, you know, he's, he's their first round pick there. They definitely take care of him, but I think it's different when you go through um, uh, preseason training camp as the starting quarterback, you get some more um, camaraderie with your guys. I, I think Lance is going to figure that out. And ultimately he, he doesn't have to lead the league in completion percentage to be a s- star quarterback. Cause that arm talent is killer. Um, and that is why Trey Lance moving forward is my number one quarterback in this draft class. Um, so to wrap it up, my top five was in order five to one, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, uh, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and Trey Lance. And then Jackson.
1: Mine was Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. And I mean, that's the thing is you can see our lists are very different,
0: but I think we all, you know, for the most part, I think we have very similar outlooks with the we see very different on Zach Wilson and Justin Fields, but I think we both acknowledge that I don't I don't think there's necessarily a wrong order to any of this. I think it's very mm-hmm. when you look at quarterbacks, I mean it's so situation-based and you never know. Like, I mean, you look at the 2018 or what was it? Was it 27 – What year was Baker Mayfield? Was that 2017, 2018?
1: I think I think that was 18. 17 was Lamar Mahomes. No, no, no. It was no, Lamar no. Watson. Wait, no. I so, mean, I mean Mahomes and Watson.
0: Yeah. So, so then it was twenty eighteen where you. So, had, so 20,
1: 2018 was Josh Allen, Lamar Baker, Sam Darnold, and Josh what, Rosen.
0: You look at that in terms of where they were drafted. You had Baker number one, who you know Baker is very mid at you know at best to me. You had Sam Darnold, pure bust, um, and then you have Josh Allen, who was definitely a wild card kind of guy he turns out great, you know, Lamar Jack, you just, you, you never know. Um, it's very hard to project, especially after just your rookie year, because if you were basing what happened off the rookie year, Josh Allen would have been a bust. So that's the thing about any of these guys is I think rookie year matters, but it's not the be all end all. They have a lot of room to improve. And I think se- second year taking a, a, you know, sophomore jump, that that's the important
1: thing to me. And and honestly, all of these guys, except for Mac. Matt- jones played bad football trey lance obviously didn't really get that much time um but but lawrence wilson and fields uh they were all the starter for at least most of their respective season and they they were not good but they they have the physical tools that uh they all all of them except for mac jones definitely have the chance to to become the next big thing in the nfl
0: it's going to be fun to see especially I mean this upcoming draft class you know quarterback group not not nearly as exciting as this so I think a lot of people will be more invested going forward about these second year guys and their case. but it's going to be interesting and I mean we'll have as we get closer to draft we'll discuss we'll, we'll be all things draft but um for now that's just gonna you know about gonna conclude our episode as always um, check out the blog, the Redshirt blog, the Redshirt dot com. Um, you're listening to the Redshirt podcast right now on Spotify. Be sure to follow the Instagram at the Redshirt, um, and then I'll tell you now for Jackson on TikTok, you got to follow JPowNFL for the best content, um, and make sure to spam comment him that we need more George. George is his dog. I think that he would blow up even more if we had more George content. And yeah, any, anything else to add? Uh, nope, I, I got nothing. Good, so uh, we, in this episode, we were able to cover the conference championships as expected, a little bit of discussion about the overtime rules, our thoughts in it, and then evaluating uh, the rookie quarterback's outlooks moving forward. Um, so I'd like to thank you guys for tuning into this episode of the Red Shirt Podcast. We will see you guys next time.